I mentioned briefly earlier that what we already know about what sound does for movies and games needs to be brought into how sound works as a communication system with data because it doesn't just represent what you see it adds to that and it brings in things that only music and sound and uh, the textures of all of that can do this is a show where we'll explore what it means to retire with purpose to make a difference to invest in your family your community to live to your full potential and explore abundant opportunities to live with purpose and community from Garden Spot Communities in New Holland, Pennsylvania, welcome to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller, the Chief Marketing Officer at Garden Spot Communities. And I'm Juanita Fox, the Storyteller. In this season of Purpose in Retirement, we will talk with experts who will share ways that innovation and emerging technologies can improve the quality of our lives and help us to live with purpose in community. In this episode, we'll be talking with Hugh McCrory, the founder of Sonify. It's a company that uses sound and music to tell the stories of data. Hugh partnered with Google several years ago to launch a website called Two-Tone, that's T-W-O-T-O-N-E, which makes data sonification accessible for free for everyone. We will talk with Hugh about that website and his current work to transform the way we access and learn about data. So in just a moment, we'll talk with Hugh. Hugh, thank you so much for joining us today. For the 2022 season of Purpose in Retirement, we're talking with industry innovators and leaders like you who are offering new and emerging technologies that can help us discover opportunities to live with purpose and community. Hugh, you're taking data and making music. I'm totally simplifying it here, but your efforts with Sonify are certainly challenging us to think about data differently. Yes, thank you. And uh, firstly, thank you for inviting me on to talk about this today. Uh, what I'm working with is the idea around, you know, data is essentially the currency of the, the web. And mm -hmm. data is growing exponentially. But the way data is presented is quite limiting. It's, it's only visual. So a lot of my work is based on the concept of how could we add sound and how could we also take advantage of new behaviors and new emerging technologies to see if we can add value in any way to how we can present that data to people and, and drive better connections. Yeah, and that is, that, that is so, you know, unlike the way we typically think, it might be helpful for our listeners if you could talk a little bit about your background and experience. Well, you might have picked up a little bit of an accent. <laughs> I, I grew up in the north of Ireland, a, a place called Derry, pretty much as far north as you can go. And before I moved to the US, tw which is about 12 years ago now, mm -hmm. I, I'd run uh, a production studio so we made film uh both documentary and fiction but we also worked in computer animation and a lot of stuff you know where like you could just see how quickly digital was advancing you know it, it, i'm sure you all know from your own ex experience that 
you know, things improve, things get better, things get faster, things get hopefully easier to create as, uh, you know, each year passes by. And, and we were very much involved in the early wave of how could we work with digital machines to make, expand creativity and, you know, look at how we interact with machines, what we can get them to do, but very much from the purpose of not just trying to make machines better, but trying to see could that allow us to create and communicate uh, in, in different ways. And a lot of that work bizarrely ended up, a real turning point for me was when I was invited by Yale University in Connecticut, their School of Medicine Molecular Imaging Department invited me to come over and spend the summer of 2007 in residence with their scientists and uh, you know their postdoctoral fellows, etc., who were doing research on cells. Uh, okay. And up until that point, my world for all of this stuff was images and sounds. And when I was at Yale and, and looking at the workflow, like looking at you know how, how they did their imaging, that's when data showed up for me for the first time because when they're creating images, they're not necessarily using a camera. And that mm. would be true of like NASA as well. It, in a lot of cases, what they're doing is taking a large amount of data and creating an image from that data. So that that really opened my eyes in a sense to uh, how, you know, on a real nuts and bolts practical level, all of the images that we see in digital space are just ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. and all of the sounds that we hear are just ones and zeros. So therefore, and data is also ones and zeros yeah. in, in its pure form. So data can be made to look like or sound like or react to essentially anything. But when you look at the entire field of data and how it's communicated, it seems almost self-policed by experts into a corner or wrapped in a bubble where nobody seems to be able to think beyond creating pie charts or bar charts mm -hmm. as the best way to explain this. And, you know, th those are both good ways to explain data, but they're, they're certainly not the only way to explain data. And, and a lot more is possible. And, you know, we, we all just lived through two years uh, of a pandemic where in the early stages, access to, you know, quality, timely, trusted data, you know, what, it was literally a life or death issue in the early stages of the pandemic. So there, there's a lot at stake here to being able to improve these systems. And, uh, you know, there's stuff in development as well in every city in the world. Uh, the Internet of Things is literally sensors put into everything. So the amount of data that's going to be picked up by a city or, you know, a community is is going to grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. And then we've got new behaviors like people listen to books 
people navigate with GPS. It's just convenient, you know, to, to be able to add sound, for instance. Mm -hmm. But also we're going to be moving into a world of self-driving vehicles, uh, etc. And, and our whole world is being designed for, certainly in America, for the automobile. So there, there's big, big changes afoot. And what do we do with all that data? How can we empower people? How can we make their life a little bit easier or inform them or you know, make them more engaged? Uh, and I'm not necessarily sure that texting people bar charts is going to be <laughs> the, the best way of, of dealing with our near future. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> what tool are you building right now? So, you know, what do you, what do you have the opportunity to work on? So a few years ago, we built uh, a tool with support from Google news initiative we built a tool to turn data into music and that tool was called two-tone t-w-o-t-o-n-e and if you put a dot i-o at the end of that that's the web address so two-tone.io anybody listening can go on there it's free it's really really simple to use and we created it because data sonification is, is the term for turning data into music. And we didn't invent that. That's been around for decades. And, you know, it, it's used in science labs. It's used by NASA, like I mentioned. It's, it's used, you know, in financial markets, etc. But a tool that was available online didn't really exist. Can you explain data sonification and what does that mean? So data sonification, if you look at how it's explained, I, I don't necessarily agree with the strict definition of how it's explained. So if, if you go to Wikipedia or something like that, uh, it'll tell you that data sonification is the use of non-speech audio to convey data or perceptualize information. And by non-speech audio, obviously they mean sounds or music. That, that's pretty much mm -hmm. it. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, just before, at the end of last year, I had the privilege of being invited to speak on a panel at Stanford University about the future of the web as a voice web uh, where, you know, we'd maybe be able to speak to the internet uh, and why can't we you know the natural language processing uh, artificial intelligence is easily becoming able to understand spoken language and you know we have google home and amazon alexa and, and all these things yeah. so why can't i speak to the web and order a table at a restaurant and Etc. So, but what's interesting there, and why I mentioned that, is that that's called the voice web, and where sonification kind of defines itself strictly by not using voice. Voice defines itself by not using sonification. Ah, <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. It limits itself to language, and 
that has a limitation as well. And when you talk to the scientists engaged in voice, they say, well, you know, we're wrestling with things like how to build a human connection and, and how to convey emotion. And, and that's actually the definition of what music does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Music's strongest thing is is conveying emotion, conveying a feeling, and also that you know it has amazing power that's been very well researched to build human connection and, and social bonds and this stuff. So I I think because I'm coming in as an outsider, I'm not a data scientist, I see the bubbles, if yeah. you know what I mean, that people work in. I see that voice is limiting itself and it doesn't need to uh sonification is limiting itself and it doesn't need to because i'll talk more about this later but i've just done a year-long uh project with the blind and visually impaired community and they have very much told me that adding human voice to data sonification makes it way easier to understand and and that just makes sense Mm -hmm. you know because it's giving it context it's uh you know, I don't see why we shouldn't combine these things rather than using strict definitions. So it, in a sense that when I'm asked to define sonification, I'm like, we need to broaden that definition. We need to bring in not just turning data into music, but adding human voices, adding what we know about sound design for music and games and how that can convey feelings and moods and and that kind of stuff and then also what we know from music theory itself you mentioned the the website two-tone um that you Mm. had done and then and now we're talking about you know um sonification how does your work now take that idea from two-tone and and improve upon it well people love two-tone but they sort of miss that it was just an experiment you know right. like tune wasn't built to be a solution of anything it was kind of it, it's really fun and i can teach anybody how to use it in five minutes it's 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 ridiculously easy if you can use instagram you can use two-tone it's it's it, there's not a lot of steps and it walks you through i first demoed two-tone to a class of nine-year-olds and they were using it in five minutes so. <laughs> Early adopters, <laughs> nine-year-olds. Yeah, so the software doesn't have to be complicated. You know, like lots of people try to make it compl- complicated and, and that's old fashioned. Like if you look at something like Adobe Photoshop, it's terrifying. There's so many drop downs and all these different things that you need to know and compare that to Instagram or TikTok where you just hit a filter and that's it. Yeah. You know? yep. So. Two-tone super easy, but it was sort of designed to be a general purpose tool. So it's not, it's not great at a specific task. Like it's, you know, it, it wasn't built to be accessible for blind people, for instance. And then we ended up working with them to find out how we could build something useful that was. So we're working on that now. Uh, the you know, two-tone isn't a great tool for scientists or musicians uh, or any, you know, niche, niche community. It, it's just something that demonstrates the process. We're also working on uh, new software, which looks at how can we generate both audio and images 
mm. from directly from the spreadsheet or, or the data set. So like, you know, we're, we're thinking about that in a, in a slightly different way. That's right now the way we're thinking could be called audio first. So it's not audio only. And I'll give you an example. An audio first system would be GPS in your car. So, you know, it's an audio system that happens to have pictures that are, you know, they're not yep. Hollywood, mm -hmm. they're not Hollywood movie pictures. They're graphics that mm -hmm. uh, maybe have little dots on them and, and things like that and, and make, uh, you know, reflect in a different way what you're hearing. At one point you had given the um, analogy about the 1920s and how movies were silent and that was just fine. Um, can you yes. talk a little bit about that that evolution of music in movies and how you see this impacting what how we view data? Yeah, uh, it's a useful analogy. So pretty much a hundred years ago, uh, sound came into movies for the first time. It was the 1920s. A movie called The Jazz Singer is usually credited as the first sound movie in Hollywood, and prior to that we had you know what was it 40 years or something of movies mm -hmm. that didn't have any sound and you know you'd go and see a silent movie like a, they were called silent movies mm -hmm. kind of the way right now uh they call things data visualization as if it can only have one sense <laughs> and so back then you know they that was just the way it was uh, it didn't have sound, but it also didn't have any color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to teach uh, at university back in Belfast. I taught at Queen's University there in the film department. I taught modules on the history of cinema. And if you look back at that time, people were like, why would you want to add sound? Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? that? That's ridiculous. Who wants to hear what an actor says like who wants to do these things and sound you could argue sound had a detrimental effect on the visual because prior to when they invented sound like if you think about a a, a, a silent movie in your mind they're they're kind of crazy you know you've got like 30 people on top of a moving car and you've got like people hanging off buildings and you know all sorts of wackiness and stunts and uh anarchy in a sense and then you contrast that to the 1930s and everybody's standing still and there's two actors and there's a large plant in between <laughs> where the mic is <laughs> exactly exactly so, so sound made everything static and sound made everything more theatrical but so, but people loved it and it brought uh, a lot of it, it brought so much interest from the public what's interesting when you um, examine sound in movies is that most people think that the sound in movies is the actors talking and a little bit of music but they sound operates in a very different way in a very like subconscious subliminal kind of way to make your feelings go up and down and that's called sound design and it's a very well developed art 
with lots of different principles that that I, I I mentioned briefly earlier that what we already know about what sound does for movies and games needs to be brought into how sound works as mm. a communication system with data because it doesn't just represent what you see it adds to that and it brings in things that only music and sound and uh, the textures of all of that can do anything else you want to share with our our listeners before we leave uh with your listeners i just wanted to say that you know please become part of the conversation so come to our website sonify.io access the free tools sign up for the lab and in the lab people talk to each other and people talk to us and they say oh this didn't work and someone else will tell them how to fix it or they'll say you know did you ever think about this or what really annoys me is that <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's how we learn you know we we learn and, and it's uh, certainly age does not come into it because we think that systems should be designed for everyone and, and they should work for everyone and you know the last systems and the systems that we use right now for the web and digital communication they didn't think about people with disabilities they didn't think about seniors they didn't they didn't think about um, you know how, how to make tools open and accessible and, and we need to going forward if we're, if we're gonna redesign these things we should redesign them in a, as to be as inclusive and useful as possible well, Hugh, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, you know, just an incredibly informative. And so, you know, personally, I've never thought of data in this way or, or something that could really be incorporated into sound. And so, so thank you so much. Hugh's work with data sonification is incredible. When I first learned about the concept, it was a little hard to understand. The Two-Tone website, available at twotone.io, however, gave me a personal experience with data sonification and quickly helped me understand what he is working to do. Hugh's interview in the podcast was edited for length and clarity. Um, our full conversation with him, however, was absolutely fascinating. So if you're interested in hearing the full 40-minute interview, we have posted that on our podcast page at www.gardenspotcommunities.org slash podcast. Through our conversation with Hugh, he talked about the opportunities for data sonification. We summarized those opportunities in a PDF entitled Five Opportunities of Data Sonification, and you can find a link to the PDF in the podcast description. The PDF lists the benefits as one, incorporate alerts, two, quickly hear changes, three, inclusivity, four, interest, and five, transformation. Before we go, let's not forget about our giveaway. If you contact us through our website, gardenspotcommunities.org, and mention the podcast before June 30, 2022, we will enter you into a drawing for a hot air balloon ride for two. Again, contact us through gardenspotcommunities.org, mention the podcast, and we'll enter you into the drawing. Next month, we'll talk with Zach Reed, who works at Green Mountain Cyclery. He'll explain the benefits of cycling and explain how to purchase an e-bike that's just right for you. 
So thank you for listening to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller. And I'm Juanita Fox. Special thanks to Hugh McCrory for joining us for this podcast. Our senior producer and host is Scott Miller. Our co-host is Juanita Fox, and our producer is Sharon Sparks. 